I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? Welcome back to your Wednesday episode of the Celtics Pod. If you didn't get an episode from us on Friday, which you didn't, that was because of Thanksgiving. And then Monday, it was my wife's birthday, so, you know... I was busy, didn't really have time to edit or anything, and I knew that wouldn't be possible, so we just didn't record. Plus, there was a game on Sunday evening. So, I apologise. We're back to normal now, back to the normal schedule. We're back to giving you your three episodes a week. As usual, I'm your boy Adam Taylor. As usual, this is my boy, Mr. Will Weir. And as usual, we are live on Facebook right now. If anybody is watching, go over to... You know, and if you're not watching and you're listening, you're like, man, why don't I see these guys on Facebook? Head over to the Celtics Block Facebook page and you will see us pop up as and when we go live every Tuesday, ready for your Celtics listening slash watching pleasure. What's going on, Will? Hey, what's up, Adam, man? Good to be back here. Good to be back on schedule. And, you know, shout out to you being a good husband out there, man. Got to make, make sure you take care of the wifey when you can. Yeah, dude, I work like 13, 14 hours a day these days, man. If I can't make time for the birthday, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> That's one of those days where you just got to cross out some time. Cut it mm-hmm. down and make sure you take care of those priorities. So just tell shout everybody out to you, I'm not, not I'm not available today. Like <laughs> yeah. the Celtics could trade for Devin Booker, and I'm still unfortunately I'm not available today. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that one, man. That'd be that'd be that'd be a hell of a day. <laughs> I would I would like to see that happen. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it either. I think Phoenix would have something to say about it, though. I don't think Phoenix. Yeah, would be they might not be as excited about that deal. Although I don't. You know, look, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna go to take ourselves to a weird place here. I think we could maybe put something together, but it's it's not worth discussing right now. Yeah, plus it's never gonna happen. Yeah, it's not gonna I happen. I mean, they're doing too well <laughs> at the moment. Hey, what's up, Alif? Alif saying hello. I hope hey. I said your name right. How's it going? I think the thing we want to start with today, we're talking about this a little bit off air. I'm intrigued. I'm I kind of I'm a bit saddened. I'm also not that shocked. And I want to start with a former Celtic man, a very recent former Celtic, Mr. Kemba Walker. Playing incredibly poorly for the New York Knicks, and I feel very bad for him. Uh, he's not, they've decided that he's not going to be part of the rotation for the foreseeable future. Do they give him a buyout? I mean, do you buy a guy out after you pick him up so soon? I mean, it's only like, $8 million. It's not the $30 million that OKC had to do, so the, the the money wouldn't be as crazy. I think, what was it, two uh, years, but the $8 million a year? Be, right? like that's that. bad optics. Yeah, the optics would be, but... Uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, man. I mean, the the thing for me is it's kind of sad, right? Like how we just how quickly Kemba's career mm-hmm. has gotten here, because there's no denying right now. You know, I, I feel like with the Kemba for Al swap and you throw in the 16th pick, for the most part, it got a pretty pretty warm reception. People some some people didn't love that the the pick being in there, but you know, kind of is what it is. And Al's been fantastic for the Celtics this year. Like the difference in having Al versus Kemba even with overpriced contracts, like there's a huge difference in that overpriced contract that, you know, where Kemba's now on a new team and is essentially being, you know, relegated, you know, off the team where you have a guy like Al who, you know, you do have to manage his minutes a little bit. He's 35, but he's making a meaningful impact every time that he's out there. Like it's really sad for, for, for Kemba Walker. I almost said Isaiah Thomas. For a second. It's really <laughs> sad for Kemba Walker to be in this situation because he is such a great guy. And really, it, it, if you look back to the beginning of where it's all started, third team All-NBA when his last year in Charlotte, becomes a free agent, eligible for that max contract, comes to Boston, says all the right things, does all the right things. He's 
awesome. Awesome. People forget that how good he was the first half year with the Celtics. He started the All-Star game, Adam. He was on track to have another All-NBA season. And then really from, you know, that All-Star game on, where I know a lot of people looked at that as he played those extra minutes, the knee started acting up again after that. And here we are now where things have never really gotten better. I don't I don't know if exactly the All-Star game is the moment, but it's just crazy how we got from him starting an All-Star game just a few years ago to him feeling like this is kind of the end, which I hope it's not, but it, it kind of feels like it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that All-Star game was the pivotal point, right? Like, that was the turning point. Do we blame Nick Nurse? Possibly. I mean, a little bit. I kind of, you know, a little bit. Is it Nick D- Nurse? didn't help, no? Yeah, it didn't help, especially in the All-Star game, dude. I get it, you want to win. It was that new format, the first year of that new format. Oh, the Elam ending, yeah. Yeah, so, like, um, you know, I could understand wanting to play, but at the same time, like, I bet Kemba looks back at that and thinks, man, if I just sat... But, you know, I do. I genuinely think that this was an underlying issue and whether he'd played those extra yeah. minutes then or played extra minutes two weeks down the line in an overtime game for Boston. Exactly. Same issue is going to occur. And, you know, it is what it is. I just think that this is a guy that at one point was looked at as like Mr. Iron Man. Like there was a point where he never missed games. And that mileage is going to catch up with you. That usage rate with the amount of times the ball was in his hand in Charlotte and he was asked to do it literally everything. And now you go to New York, you go home, it's meant to be the place where you can kind of see out your last few years and gracefully decline in production over those two years. Maybe try and get a third year out of it and then bow out of the league. You know, you've had a few memorable nights in the garden in front of a home crowd, hopefully. And it's just not gone that way. I mean, we were saying before, like Fred Katz tweeted this out. I've got the numbers to back it up. So uh, what was Katz's tweet? So the the tweet that he put out, a statistical summary of why the Knicks are pulling Kemba Walker from their rotation. Knicks have the best defense in the league when he's on the bench, 99 defensive rating, and are dead last, 116.3 when he's on the floor. And they are 27th in offense with him playing and 9th in offense without him. Those are just numbers that, you know, especially as we look to be, you know, we're a quarter into the season now, Adam. Like, there's, there, it, it, this is no longer is it's a small sample size. It's, it's a decent sample size at this point. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. one-fourth of your season that you're playing a guy 25 minutes, whatever it is, and you're the worst team in the league when he's on the floor. You know, like, that's going to be damaging. And I think one of the biggest things that that I take away from this is you think about, you know, Kemba last year with the Celtics, and just, listen, there wasn't other options to go to. That's not the case in New York. Their bench has been awesome. They have had one of the best benches in the league. You saw Alex Alec Burks moving into the starting lineup. And then you factor in, you have Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly right there behind you to go ahead and take on some more of that additional responsibility. And I know I have a lot of Nick, Nick friends in my life, and they want to see more quickly. You know, quickly is the guy that is closing a lot of the games for the Knicks as is. So, they have the ability to be able to move on, something Celtics couldn't do last year. And it was really trying to to make an unsolvable situation as best as you possibly could. But the Knicks have a move, and unfortunately for Kemba, it looks like, uh, looks like that could be it. Yeah, I mean, let's just look at his numbers a little bit deeper. So non-garbage time, we'll use cleaning the glass. And then we'll move on to some Celtics-related stuff. I've got some Celtics-related stuff for you too. Non-garbage time, cleaning the glass. 441 minutes played. So that's a very considerable, you know, most statistics run on a per 100 possession basis. There's guaranteed you're going to have at least 100 possessions at this point. When Kemba Walker is on the floor, the Knicks score nine points less than when he's off the floor. When he's on the floor on defense, they give up 18 points more than when he's off the floor. That's striking, dude. 
And it's something that as Celtics fans, especially when you think back to that Miami, that series against Miami in the bubble in the conference finals, that's that's a series that whenever someone talks about Kemba Walker defense, and I think of the negatives, I always go back to that series, mm-hmm. right? Because like it it was very easy to hunt Kemba and attack Kemba that way and get get him into pick and rolls, run some screens and get him switched on to whoever you wanted to abuse him. And teams learnt from that. And then obviously he doesn't have the same burst that he had, so he can't jump over screens as quickly, can't navigate things as quickly because he just doesn't have that burst and that lateral movement that he had before the knee injuries. And when you're trying to be a contending team in the East, you need a guard that can give you something on both sides of the floor. I mean, the Knicks are a good defensive team, but they're not good enough to hide Kemba Walker's flaws. And that was a similar issue in Boston last year. Yeah, and and, and I will say this, like, you know, it, it at the time of the move where he gets the buyout from OKC, goes to the Knicks, they bring in him and Fournier. Like, those moves actually made a lot of sense to me. I don't think it put them, put the Knicks into, you know, that upper tier, but... When you look at what they struggled with in the postseason in their in their playoff series against the Hawks, it was okay. Randall's running your offense. If we take that away, what's your counter move? And they didn't have one, you know. So they needed someone else that could provide more shooting, more secondary creation off just you know Reggie Bullock, great off the ball shooter to space the floor, but he can't really do much, you know. If if they close out on him hard or you know, so that would bring in Evan Fournier, bring in Kemba Walker at the time. I think those moves made some sense, especially with the depth they have, but. You know, hasn't necessarily worked out. And like I said, they do have depth. And so with that, it allows them to now make this move. And the Knicks find themselves right in the middle with the Celtics. You know, it's crazy, Adam. If you look around the NBA, it feels like, and this is a little bit hyperbolic, but not too far off, just about, you know, half the league is either 500 or on one side or the other of almost being 500. And, you know, the Knicks are just about, I think they're 11 and 9 right now. So they're just outside of that. So, I mean, the whole league is is right there, kind of up for grabs. And so for the Knicks, I think this is a move for them where they're like, we got to find a way to separate ourselves. And this is the way they're choosing to do it. And it's unfortunately moving on from from Kemba Walker. I mean, I think the next thing is like, you you say it's kind of, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like there's some things in the the league at the moment that just aren't making sense the Phoenix Suns on a 15-game unbeaten streak. I think they're good. I think they're a really good team. Winning 15 on the bounce, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, they're a really, <laughs> really good team. But 15 yeah. games is a lot, dude. The Warriors and Steph Curry, the way Steph's playing at the moment, that makes sense, but it's still nonsensical. The Warriors I mean, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I would think that for me, even the Warriors, like, for me, maybe if they were doing this after Christmas and Clay had come back, but mm-hmm. for them to be this good before Clay has even come back, that that actually even surprises me a little bit too. James Harden not playing great. That's yep. that doesn't make sense to me. But the number one thing that doesn't make sense to me right now, that has no sense to it whatsoever. I'm calling it the nonsensical, the linear nonsensicality. That's what we've gone through. We've gone from base nonsensicality all the way up to number one, Grant Williams being at a 50, 40, 90. I think that that's, to me, the <laughs> most nonsensical thing. That, like, If I told you in the first round of the playoffs, so when Boston was struggling against Brooklyn, if I said to you, Will, don't worry, man, because six months down the line, Grant Williams is going to be one of your saving grace players. He's going to be averaging a 50-40-90 primarily off the bench, and he's going to be looking good on defense and offense while doing it. You would have said, dude, we can't record this podcast no more. <laughs> I would have had you drug tested like Adam Silver does. 
<laughs> yes, for real, dude. Like, and then you know, you fast forward six months, and if I'd said that, I would have been looked at as a mastermind. People would want the lottery numbers from me, like it, because nobody saw this coming. Nobody. And here, nobody. here we are, eighty-six percent at the rim, dude. That's his conversion rate at the rim right now. Eighty-six percent at the rim, fifty-one percent from the corner, forty-four percent from free, like all of free. Forty-four yep. percent. I just think, uh man. We were a lot of us were wrong on Grant Williams this time last year. A lot of us. Everybody was, and you know, I I feel really great for Grant because you know Grant Grant's been a high IQ guy. It just hasn't necessarily always always clicked. And this year, you know, he's in better shape. He's knocking down the right shots, and he's making a lot of us that you know gave him you know probably too much crap last year for him being in his second year. It's a weird COVID season. And, you know, our other host here, Greg, always says, you know, if you look to the end of the bubble, Grant Williams had a lot of promise. And that was part of what hurt him last year was the expectation going into the year was that, to your point, that his progression was going to be linear. And it wasn't, which it isn't for most players, not named Jalen Brown. You know, that's not typically yeah. how their career progresses. And so for him to have that down year last year and see what he's doing this year, man, it's uh, it, it's really cool to see, and uh, I don't know if you saw. Did you see the tweet going around? I think it was from uh, StatMuse, the, the the account on on Twitter, where they had uh, Grant Curry. Essentially, no, I didn't see that. They had Grant Williams, or maybe it was Doctor from somebody else, but it was great. It was making the rounds the other day, where it was Grant Williams fifty forty ninety shooting line, but it was Steph Curry's picture in a Celtic uniform, oh, one I of the cartoon it. pictures they have. So I, I think we, we may have to start calling him Grant Curry from here on out. Yeah, for real, man. I'm down. I am completely down. And it's crazy for me. Like, I went, I've been looking at Grant's kind of like comments coming into the season because I've been really intrigued on how do you go from such a non factor defensively and somebody that really struggles to keep up with the pace of the game, getting up and down the floor, being able to cut timely and being like, you know, impactful with your movement? How do you go from struggling to do all of that? And then a few weeks later, like a couple of months later, you, all of a sudden, bang. Your mobility is better. Your 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 motor itself is better. You're moving better. You're changing. And he, you know, you go back to that one quote where he's like, "Yeah, I put on weight to play the five last year. Like that's where my minutes were going to come from. This year, my minutes were going to come from the four. So I yeah. shed a bunch of weight, and I'm still looking to drop another ten pounds. I think he's done that through the season, to be fair. But man, that that bit of weight must have really been, like he mustn't have felt comfortable in his own body if he's playing like this now. Could you imagine what, how he like physically must have felt at the size he was last year? Because to me, he looks stronger now than he did last season. Like the screens he's setting look really, yeah. really strong. He's going up. He's he's having a lot of success on the boards compared to last year. He just looks like an all-around improved player. And if, if that come from losing some weight, then uh, I think that playing him at the four was the right move this year. And and communicating that to him early enough to allow him to lose that weight and train that way was a masterstroke for whoever did that, whether it was Brad or Doka, I don't know who would have done it. But uh, that was a, a big factor for me in Grant Williams becoming Grant Corey. Yeah, and, and, it, and it feels like it really like <laughs> has played into his confidence, right? He just yeah, looks real, confident. Dude. You know, and this is something that, that we've touched on a little bit with uh, the others. You know, using Grant as a great example, he had a regression in year two, kind of going through that a little bit with Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith right now. And part of it, at times, even when they get those spot 10, 12 minutes seems to be a little bit of a lack of confidence at times. And with Grant right now, and I think Romeo, you in year three, you can say this about him as well. They they feel very confident in the movements that they're making on the court. 
they're not worrying about, you know, they're not overthinking it. They're, they're in the moment. They're thinking a step ahead even at times. And I really look at this as like, you know, when, you, when Grant gets that ball in the corner – and, you know, Mike Gorman is loving Grant's corner. He's loving every time Grant will. It, it's almost like, you know, the Mike Gorman anticipation calls where he's almost, he's he's trying to talk it into existence that he feels like the ball's already going in. That's yeah. been kind of his his move with Grant Williams over the last, last couple of weeks. You can see it. When that ball hits Grant in the corner, it's going up and it should go up. There shouldn't be a hesitation of, is there another better shot? No, that's the shot. That is the 51% shot. 51% from Grant the corner, knows it. dude. 51% exactly. shoot that, let that fly. Absolutely. And you can see it in his movement. You can see it in his presence, the way he handles himself on the court. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a really impressive first quarter of this season from Grant. And, you know, if I look through this roster, I, it, it's hard to find somebody who's been for sure as, as surprisingly successful as, as Grant was given where the season started and what the expectations of him were. But just in general, besides maybe Rob and Al, I don't think anybody else has been as consistently, you know, it, consistent in their role as Grant Williams. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing, right? Being consistent in your role. And that's how, if you look at these players that become elite role players, like that's the thing. It's being elite in your role, consistent at doing your very specific actions within a role. Those elite role players are the guys that you add to a core to, to take you into a championship. You know, if you've got your stars in place, you've got your, your complementary pieces in place. The thing that usually a team needs to go out and add is an elite role player, somebody that's going to come in and just be consistent. PJ, I, I use PJ Tucker every time. I, I, I was going to say, I think we, we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where he feels yeah. like a PJ Tucker type but career. PJ it Tucker took- is an elite role player. Took him a while to figure it out too. Remember that, you know, he he played at Texas and then he actually went overseas for a little bit before he really found his his role being that guy that everyone's trying to find on their championship run. Yeah, I mean, you look at, at the latter end of his career specifically here, but you look at like Andre Iguodala, he mm-hmm. he transitioned from being like you know he was never an elite player like an, a superstar a star. He was always like a very high end complementary piece, somebody who was better than a role player but was never a star. But then as he's aged, he's just become an elite role player. You look at guys that contending teams consistently try and bring in when they're like, yo, we just need some pieces that we can rely on. Iguodala's always one who goes from Golden State, goes to Miami when Miami are chasing the ring. Doesn't get it there, goes back to Golden State when they want, you know, when they feel like they're ready to compete again. PJ Tucker, Milwaukee wanted him in the last half of the season. Played, like in my opinion, played uh, a significant, not a significant, but played a role within them yeah. winning the championship. Now Miami feel like they're in that position. They lose Iguodala, they go and bring in PJ Tucker. It's that elite level role player. And I think that Grant Williams is on that trajectory. Is he there yet? No, of course not. We can't say that after 21 games of decent performance. You need to do this for four, five, six seasons before we can call you an elite role player. But man, like, it's just for me personally, it's like, if I, if I talk about off-ball cutting, buying into a system, Ludoka's system is very predicated on moving off-ball, right? So the passes can actually happen. He wants the ball movement where you need to move without the ball to. The three best off-ball cutters right now are Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, and Josh Richardson, in my opinion. I, don't, I think those three are the three most active guys at off-ball. Last year, Grant Williams and Romeo Langford would never have had the confidence to move off-ball like this, especially Grant Grant's yeah. also the, one of the more vocal guys in press conferences. He's like, yeah, we need to figure this out, man. We ain't got no excuses. 
Like, dude, during your third year, you're speaking up more than some of these, like, you know, long tenured players. Mm-hmm. I'm a big, big Grant guy at the moment. At the yeah. moment. Yeah, I mean, our, our attitudes on him have, have, you know, have changed quickly here. As you know, I see here on the screen, Grant, Grant Williams' apology wagon has taken off right now. You know, everybody's kind of on yeah. it, and, and, and he's earned it, too. You know what I mean? That That's the really cool part about it. And also... You know, Adam, we're recording this on Tuesday for those of you with us here on Facebook Live. If you listen on the podcast, it's going to be obviously Wednesday or maybe a, a day or two after. But it's Grant Williams' birthday today. He's 23. He's 23 years old. This is a guy that we're talking about as if, you know, he's had this, you know, massive awakening. He's in his third year and he's 23 years old. So there's still a lot of room for him to be able to continue to grow. And I think you're right. You know, his his ceiling is probably that high-level elite role player potentially. But there's nothing wrong with that. Teams need that. That's what every championship team is looking for. And, you know, Grant is at least moving towards that. Not there, but moving towards that right now. I think we should sing Grant Williams' happy birthday. No, people do not want to hear me sing it. You sure? 100% positive on that. I could, I could not carry a tune if my life depended on it. Every time that I'm humming a song and my girlfriend goes, what is that? And I tell her whatever the song is. She just starts laughing because it is so comically <laughs> off base. And I'll ask her, I'll, I'll say, wait, is, 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 is that not the new Lizzo song? And she's like, no, it's not even close. Not even close. Anyway, that was the See, I couldn't even do though. that. Couldn't even do that. Oh, man, it's funny. I can't sing either, so, you know, we're not, we're not losing. It. I mean, Grant Williams is the only one that's losing out here. <laughs> if we're being honest, you know. If, I'll tell you want? what, yo, if Grant, if you're listening, if you come on the podcast, then then we'll sing you happy birthday. With a virtual cake. We'll buy an NFT cake and give it we'll, to we'll have a metaverse cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a cheap NFT though. We're talking like three bucks. But um, only only one candle on it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, here's the millionaire not us, right? Um <laughs> I mean for me, like man, like I've lost my completely lost my train of thought. I think uh, what we're gonna have. Well, to I do got. Is a, just... Well, I got a question. I got a question here that that kind of uh, okay. ties into Grant. So, you know, right now it it, it looks like uh, tomorrow night or tonight, depending on when you listen to this, when the Celtics play the Sixers. Uh, Ime's last comments uh, on Tuesday were that this could be the first time the Celtics are fully together as a squad for the first time since early November. Where do you think? Do you think Grant's role as this? you know, elite level role player, which you can still be a role player and be a starter. Of do you course. think that, do you think that that needs to be addressed? Do you think Grant Williams should be in that starting lineup? Do you think he's good in the role that he is? Where do you fall with, you know, starting power forward center? And it's really, you know, Rob Al and Grant are the three that we're talking about. Where do you think that that, that starting lineup should be? Or does it really just matter who's closing? What, what do you think, Adam? I think a lot of it matters who's closing. I do think that Grant Williams has, perform well in that starting role like you know i mean i don't think that if you move him from the bench into the starting five that you lose production i think there's a possibility that you start averaging 15 like 12 to 15 a game consistently so i I think that grant williams as a starter makes a bunch of sense me personally i want to see a bit of a stint of jjt starting at the four like i just feel like he's far more effective starting against fours he can use his quickness a little bit more get guys on his hip a little bit easier than when he's going up against threes that are usually more shifty, have a bit more mobility. And then I'd like to see it be like, JT is your four, and then Grant Williams backs up JT. Or when Grant Williams comes in, that's when you slide JT down to the three. I'd like Robin Al to be interchangeable more, and I like Robin Al together. I love the horn sets that they've run. and But I just think that 
Rub and Al both have reasons for you to need to manage their minutes. You know, Al's getting mm-hmm. on in age. In my opinion, you're going to want him fresher later in the season than what you do now. Robert Williams is missing games yet again, so you're going to want to take care of his health as well. So not running them together and kind of having them stagger between each other and then using Cantor to kind of give these guys a break if they need it. That makes a ton of sense to me. I think this two-big lineup, in theory, works great. Defensively, it's obviously working. But at the same time, it's... It's kind of putting a lot of mileage on guys that really could you do without the mileage this early in the season. So maybe moving JT up to the four will get him going because I always feel like he plays better. He spent most of his time at the four last season. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, moving him back to a position where I I think he looks more comfortable makes a bunch of sense. And then, you know, if you want to slow ground Williams in next to JT, you can just move JT back down after he's got going and then you're good to go. So before before I kind of add on to that, if you were to slide JT up to the four, start Al or Rob, I don't think in your mind it necessarily matters which one you start. Start one of them. Who enters the starting lineup? Are you then going, you know, I'm assuming Smart and JB are there. Who's that fifth guy? Is it Schroeder? Is it Romeo? Is it Josh Richardson? Where, yeah, where would I mean, you go? I think Romeo's got a case to be a starter for the defense, right? Like if you move JT maybe for the, the shooting four, too, to be honest. Yeah, to be honest, I think if you move JT up to the four, then adding an extra wing defender makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. If you're, if, uh, like I think that Richardson, in terms of his play, could potentially be a good starter. But Richardson needs the ball in his hands, and if you're putting him in a starting five that where Smart's going to need to bring the ball up, Brown's going to need the ball in his hands, Tatum is, you're actually giving Richardson a position where he's probably not going to be as successful for you. Romeo is showing that most of his effort comes as an off-ball guy and a defensive guy with the occasional ball-handling duty. And I think that Romeo slots in there and doesn't really upset the apple cart too much. Uh, and that would be why I'd say Romeo. But I completely understand if you want to put Jay Rich in there because of the off-ball movement that he can bring. And he holds a bit more scoring gravity in the mid-range and towards the rim than what Romeo does. So I completely understand that train of thought as well. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd be with you too. If we were to make that change, I think Romeo would, for me, would have the inside track just because he's less ball dependent at, at this point, even though Jay Rich can play that. Uh, I think Jay Rich gives you a little bit more strength off the bench as well. And so it gives a little bit more balance, which I think is one thing that I would like to see Ime um, and the coaching staff kind of work on throughout the season is a little bit more balance when it comes to to some of these rotations. But that's not necessarily the conversation we're having right now. But, you know, when you look at Grant, I was reading an article today from Celtics blog from Jack Simone who put out some some really interesting stats about the two, the big men pairings and kind of how they work together. And so you talked about Al and Rob. And defensively, no doubt about it, that's the best two pairing that this team has out there. The defensive rating in 123-minute sample size with them, 88.3. That is that is fantastic. That's that's what you anchor your defense on. And I, you know, can see why, you know, as we talk about Eme building, you know, the, you know, who is this team? Who is this team's identity? There's a big reason why those two are his starting lineup that he goes to. And that's it right there. But when you look at the different combos of Al Horford and Rob Williams, Grant Williams and Al Horford, Grant Williams and Robert Williams, between Grant and Rob, 
in a 120-minute sample size, that's actually, by several points, your best offensive lineup that you can put out there. And at times, you know, as you can look to that San Antonio game and you look to several other games throughout the season, this team needs more offense. You know what I mean? So when you're looking at what lineups work best, to my point of there being more balance, I think you do have to start looking at some of those lineups that give you, especially within context in the right moments within a game, that give you a higher offensive firepower and lean on those a little bit more. So I don't know if that's to start. I mean, that was obviously a huge issue against San Antonio losing the first quarter 30 to 14. You could have used a lot better start than that. So you weren't having to, you know, claw your way back that entire game. So I I don't know selectively when that moment is. And for me, it always is more important about who's closing in those final, you know, six, seven minutes. But I do think looking at finding the pairings and one of them could be that Grant and Rob combo that give you a better offensive chance to, to, to really, you know, get the, get the points on the board that you need. End of the day, you need points on the board to win the game. That's a very simple statement, but a true statement. And so I think that could be an area where you look to see some different combos with those, you know, with those double bigs and maybe see a little bit more Grant and Rob. I mean, I'm completely with the – I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to word this. Okay, so I'm completely with you in you put your best value, your best impact players together on the same on the same court. So you bring on Grant Williams and Love, and that makes sense from an impact standpoint, from a spacing standpoint. And, you know, you've got your um, you've got your floor spacing from the corner from Grant. You've got your vertical, vertical spacing from Rob. Then whoever you want to put them around them, you know, you're going to be able to feed off that space and feed off that energy. I'm just not sold on where – how that like so uh, closing closing out quarters closing out a game with that lineup makes a ton of sense to me mm-hmm. because you've got the defense you've got the offense everything makes a bunch of sense i think that if these guys were to be the starters i'm just not sure that they carry the same impact as what they would coming off the coming off the bench or being paired together at that mm-hmm. point to close out a game i think that that's one of those units where you pair them together and get like instant impact. But if you did it all the time, teams would scheme out, scheme yeah. you out of it. And because neither of those guys are um, high, like Grant Williams is a high IQ player, but he's not a high impact IQ player. He doesn't make IQ plays to impact like specific possessions. He does so over the course of a game. His positioning mm-hmm. is more of a, a like a prolonged kind of um, impact. So I think pairing them together for stints makes a bunch of sense. Um, really makes it hard for teams to know when that's going to happen. If you diversify, when you bring them in, when you take them out, when you stagger them together and whatnot. But I think if you ran them together all the time, there's enough limitations there that you could scheme that out of um, out of being an impactful duo within within a week, within yeah. ten days, I, probably. I mean, I think I ultimately agree with you because I think the biggest thing when you look at let's look at Grant and Rob versus Allen Rob. I mean, the biggest thing is that because Grant is actually shooting the three ball so well, he's doing what you were hoping in theory is kind of the same thing with even, you know, even more diversity from Al Horford that you would get, but he's shooting under 30% from three. So that's the reason that their offensive rating is not as high, but in theory, they have higher potential on both sides of the ball if Al was shooting a higher percentage. So, you know, I'm totally in agreement with you. I think that that's one of those lines. That's where it comes back once again to email a little bit here and, and how did we get – and he did a little bit of this, actually. I want to point – I want to give him credit for this. He did this at the end of the Toronto game where he stuck with the lineup. But I didn't think he would. It was working where he had Romeo and Cantor – excuse me, Romeo and Freedom in the game, you know, towards the end of it to, to and just let them kind of ride it out. And Al was having a really good game, but he didn't bring him back. He, he let the lineup 
that was that was closing out the game, that had the momentum, and he stuck with it. And that was something he hadn't been doing recently. So I, I think as Ime starts to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable and doing a little bit more of the experimentation, you know, I, I think that's something that, to your point, throwing this in at the right moment within the right context in the flow of a game, which is not going to be the same night to night, that's when it probably has its biggest impact as opposed to these are my starters every single night. You know the game plan for them for the first six, seven minutes, whatever it may be. Yeah, and that, that's my biggest thing. Like when I, when you first said it to me and I'm like, oh, man, I've had to look away to try and think. Like how do I word it? Like because I genuinely believe that these two guys working together yeah. at very specific times will be hugely impactful. But I do think that, you know, there's enough limitations there just to scheme them out of it. We've got a comment on Facebook. I'm going to read it out yeah. um, just because, you know, it's about trades and people love the trade talk. And then we'll move into Fire up the stuff. trade machine. What do we got, John? So we got John Lyle. So if anybody was listening to a podcast about two weeks ago that we did on Facebook, John was uh, interacting with us then. So while up, John, hope you're doing well. I'm just going to skim your first bit and just get straight to the bit where you actually talk about trades. Odds we sell high on Schroeder in a package for the, um, the Aaron Fox or... I'm assuming that's DeJounte Murray. Uh, yeah, it is because it says it higher up. Um, my opinion on this, just to be quite blunt, is neither are going to happen. I think you've got a better chance of trading for DeJounte Murray. I think that the Spurs know that they need to rebuild and they're kind of kind of positioning themselves to do that as and when Greg Popovich decides to call it a day. But they're going to want youth. You don't rebuild by trading for a guy that's got six months, seven months left on a contract. You do it by trading for an Aaron Neesmith or a Grant Williams or a Romeo Langford and a couple of picks. I think DeJounte Murray would be a big upgrade. The Aaron Fox for Schroeder, I think, is just in, in not sensical in any world. You're talking about one of the best young point guards in the league, top five young guards in the league, I'd say. Would you say is a top five young guard? I, think you, I, I like top the Aaron six, Fox. I think seven. it's a little. I mean, there's a lot of good guards in this league. Yeah. Let's just let's just say top ten because we could spend all day trying to hash it out if he's. Yeah. You know, seven. And I mean, eight, you're, nine or yeah, ten, but not yeah. twenty four or under or whatever. Yeah, okay, in that case, he's probably top five. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, I just think that you know, no one's gonna sell high, but bringing Schroeder again on six seven months left for the Aaron yeah. Fox, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I think Schroeder's interesting. Um, you know, I think there was a report a couple of weeks ago that maybe there's a chance that him and the Celtics may even look, you know, looking ahead already to the offseason, that there may be some interest in trying to work something out, which I'm, I'm not necessarily against. We'll see what happens. But, you know, Schroeder as a trade piece, I actually don't really see him as much of a trade piece for the Celtics this year, unless we fall out. If we fall out to a point where we're like, you know what? This year just isn't happening. Maybe there's an injury that happens down the line before the trade deadline, and they're just trying to recoup value and, and get some additional assets for the future because they know this year we can't make a run with Schroeder and we don't see him being a part long-term. I, I just don't see Schroeder as a guy that's likely to be moved, in my opinion. And then when you look at the guys that are that are mentioned, I just don't think he's in their category for, for many reasons, just given the age differences, given the contracts that they have, like – when you look at DeJounte Murray, he just almost put up a 30 spot against us, you know, the other night. I, I think he even probably has a little bit too much value because of his age and especially with Schroeder's contract that there's I, I don't see why the Spurs would be would be intrigued in that particular match. I think once again, if you I think we talked about it at one point last year, uh, you know, the Spurs are in a rebuild. So it's hard to justify trading Murray for a guy like maybe Marcus Smart or something. But that would make more sense in a vacuum. But that, I don't think that trade's happening either. And then to De'Aaron Fox, you know, I mean, if you're the Kings, you might need to move off one of those guards. And maybe it is De'Aaron Fox. But I think you're you're just fishing in a whole way bigger pond 
than Dennis Schroeder as far as a return goes. You're looking for for something that's going to be quite a bit more expensive than Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, quite a little bit more. You you go you're going into a Michelin star restaurant rather than a fast food or a, a standard like five star Yelp review. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I think the one thing I will say on this just before we move on is like uh, the only way I could see Schroeder being moved is if a team like San Antonio were like, hey, we want a young piece or two, but we also want to bring in Schroeder to replace Dejounte Murray to stay mm-hmm. kind of competitive to appease Popovich during his final year or. You know what I mean? And then you're like, well, I'm getting DeJounte Murray, and DeJounte Murray is actually good, and Dennis Schroeder is good, but Dennis Schroeder's not good here after this year, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that and bring in DeJounte Murray, add some size, add some penetration and playmaking. And then I'd do it. Uh, John, we are going to move on, John, but I will just say, I'll just bring up your question here. Uh, Fox Murray wouldn't be straight up, smarter others involved. That's fair. You can understand yeah. that. Um, Warriors could use Schroeder and Nuggets. Mads for Brunson. I like Jaden Brunson, but... Again, the thing with Schroeder is for me, and I'll just end it on this, I think that it's going to be very hard to move on off from him without including other pieces for anybody yeah. simply because of how short that contract is. Unless the team's hitting the reset button and they're just looking for a way to free up cap space themselves next year. But Schroeder's cap hits so minimal anyway that it it doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't make yeah, a it, it, it Just contextually, it's a hard contract to move for, for the reasons that you mentioned. And then I think for the Celtics, it's... It, you know, unless they're kind of waving the white flag, I, it's going to be hard for them to have a reason to do it. Because for the other, it's just yeah, it's 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 tough move to make. Let's, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, it's got we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk ourselves in circles if we if we keep going. It has to be because he's a throw in for a bigger deal. That's the only way I Something can see it like making that. sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the last thing we want to hit on before we go is Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's returned hasn't looked great in my opinion. I think. Um, to be honest with you, he's one of the Celtics I haven't been the most impressed with recently. Um, even before he went down injured, I think that he's... I've been very big on watching who's moving the ball, who's looking for playmaking, who who's looking for their own shot, who's driving too much. I just think Jalen Brown's doing a little bit too much right now. I feel yeah. like... And I feel like there are times where he's showing that selfish streak that Marcus Smart spoke about after that Chicago game. And I think um, Tatum seems to have turned the corner. You know, Tatum had a real poor shooting night against Toronto. Still ended up with, like, what was it, 10 assists? 10 assists, yeah. It was a season high. I don't know if it was a career high. Season high for sure. Though. Yeah, like, but you know he found a way to impact winning. Jalen Brown, on the other hand, was very much, hey, I'm going to force a few drives, try and force a few gets to the basket, see if I can get myself going. And Udoka had spoke about that the day before. And, uh, you know, I've got some concerns about JB. I've been kind of keeping this to myself, but... I'm at the point where, hey, if you believe in it, you should stand on it, right? I'm not saying it for hot take reasons, but, you know, you've got long-term knee tendinopathy. You've got a recovering hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. You've got airs of, airs of calling your own number. I won't call it selfishness because, obviously, that's a, that's an accusation, and I don't think he's selfish. I think that he, he calls his own number, and he feels he needs to get hot early. But with those long-term injuries and that, I just feel like Brown's got a long way to go to get back to the play we saw against New York that dropped 40 points. Or 40 yeah, points. and it's it, it's tough because I think he he made that first impression with that game, and then I think he dropped 30 against Charlotte, had a couple other, you know, 28, 30-point games before he went out with that initial injury. And, you know, I mean, honestly, especially when you, when you you know, counterpose that with, with Jason Tatum's struggles at the beginning, you're like, man, JB's that missing piece. He was on fire, and, and the way he's come back, it's been a little bit slow. You know, it feels like he's not necessarily attacking the the rim with the same the same ferocity that he was at the very beginning of the season, which is something that he had talked about in a preseason article 
Uh, I can't remember with who, who that was with. I want to say it was Gary Washburn, but I could be off on that. Uh, apologies. But I know that it's something he had talked about was attacking the rim more uh, early in the season. And so, you know, as he comes back, it feels like he's still feeling it out. And, and to your point, you know, the the drives where he's drawing two but then not finding the open guy, it felt very apparent in that in that Toronto game. And Toronto has a lot of wings that, that work very well together. They were shorthanded, and that was a big reason why the Celtics came away with that victory. But it felt like, especially late, there were a lot of opportunities where he might be driving from the wing. And you could even tell that it may even be Jason Tatum's guy that is, you know, maybe it was Scotty Barnes, where he's almost sagging down into the middle of the lane because he doesn't expect Jalen Brown to make that pass. And there is that pass there for him, whether it's a skip pass, whether it's sometimes just making that next pass to your left or to your right. Some of those passes are there, and JB needs to start seeing them. Maybe he's getting his legs back under him, you know, it was really impressive what he did going back to the New York outing where he came right back from COVID and then played a double overtime game, dropped 46 in the guarding, open at night, ESPN, all the lights, all that. And then for him to come back now, and the hamstring injury is a scary one, man. It, it just is because it lingers. Until he's until you really have time off and you just shut it down, it, it's kind of lingering, and it's in the back of your mind. Just like we talk about Grant's a little bit more confident in his body, Right now, maybe there's, and I, and I don't like to be this, you know, pretend doctor, because I'm certainly not, but, you know, thinking that there is that in the back of your mind when you know your knee or you know your hamstring's not 100%, and if you go, you know, too all out or too aggressive, and there's a chance that it could put you back on the shelf, it's hard to get that out of your mind sometimes, and, you know, I, I don't know if that's going through JB's mind, but maybe it is, and so, you know, I, I'm waiting to to take a look at, you know, maybe get, you know, through this next week or so, and get, you know, about a two-week sample size of him being back and then really kind of, you know, dive into those numbers and see where we're at. But it, it hasn't been the best start over his, you know, first four games back or so. Yeah, I think that you're fair. I think you're being fair. I think that there's obviously, there's a point where uh, an opinion can be based on hyperbole, you know, like you're a bit hyperbolic on your opinions, especially with, like this is me I'm talking about here, um, especially when there's been a lot of talk about a very certain aspect of play and then you see, Brown play the opposite to the way the talk has been said. Um, my biggest concern at the minute is, you know, we started this podcast talking about Kemba Walker, who has any issues. Previous to Kemba Walker, it thought was, about him in my head as I was giving some of that answer. Yep, it's Kyrie Irving, knee issues. Gordon Hayward was a foot, so we can ignore Gordon Hayward. Um, <laughs> now it's Jalen Brown, knee issues. And it's just like, man, I don't want them to. I don't want Jalen Brown to not reach the potential that Jalen Brown's got, right? But I also think that for that to happen, they need to take a bit of usage off Jalen Brown this year to let that hammy recover, to kind of keep... And I think that's just going to be the way it is for Jalen now. Just keep that keep that usage rate low as you can while still being competitive so that you've got him now all the way through the playoffs. Because the way things are at the moment, I've just got a sneaking suspicion you don't have Jalen in the playoffs. And that'll be the second year in a row where that happens. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you have to start looking at making a move. And I think that a lot of that will come down to how they manage his fitness between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you in the sense that this is a long-term play, not a short-term play, you know? Like, you have to think about Jalen and where he's at and his health and all of that, you know, with a long-term view. 
but that question of the uh, of the Jays and, and and their fit, and I'm not even really ready to have this full discussion yet. Oh, because, for sure, me neither. Because for me, but 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 it's something that you know people do bring up. I think preemptively, and I don't want to say they're wrong because they're not wrong. I think it's early, but I do think it's something that it's creeping in the background. That discussion that 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 needs to be had and will be had at some point. It's a future date. It's down the line. It's not there yet. But I think for me, a big part of this year and then compiling whatever happens this year, we still have 60-something games, so there's still plenty of time. Take this year with last year, and now you have kind of two full sets of data, two full years of data that you can look at and be like, okay, we have these two great young all-stars. What does it mean looking at this, knowing that we now have Jalen Brown with looking ahead to next offseason? Two years left on his contract. Tatum's got you know three more years on his contract. The NBA moves and changes very quickly. So you have to then start thinking about what that means, you know, but that's a future conversation. We don't need to have it today. We're already, we're already about 44 minutes into it. We definitely don't need to go ahead and go down that rabbit hole right now. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was just bringing it up because that's where my mind is at on Jalen right now. You know, like I'd much rather him miss every fourth game, you know what I mean? Or average 26 minutes a game for the rest of the regular season. Uh, than not playing the playoffs. And this is kind of just, that's where my mind's at at the moment. But look, man, we've been happy. We've been positive all the way through it. So I'll leave it on this. Jalen Brown's back. He's going to get back to a point where he's impacting the game positively. Hopefully he'll start passing the ball as much as what Tatum has been passing, or at least more than what he's currently, more than what Brown's currently passing. And I'll leave you out with this. If you've enjoyed this show live on Facebook, make sure to go to Apple or Spotify, type in Celtics blog. And then hit that subscribe to follow. Hit that follow button. If you are using an Apple device, once you've hit that follow button, scroll a little bit down. Hit that five stars. They're opaque. When you're pressing the turn gold, ta-da! And then write <laughs> something really nice and hit send. If you're not an Apple, then my boy Will here is going to explain how you can help us continue to grow this podcast into the Moonray Uno podcaster. So number one, I'm going to say right now on the record... I think JB has a big game this week. I don't know which game it's going to be, but I think there's going to be a big JB game coming before we come back to y'all on Facebook Live next Tuesday. Putting that on the record. Number two, word of mouth. It's that simple. You can do it old school. You can go ahead and tag us. You can do it social media. Word of mouth is very simple. All you got to do is tell your Uber driver, tell your Uber Eats driver, tell your, maybe you have a Uber uh, helicopter ride. Maybe you do one of the fancy black, you know, black limousines. Whoever you're, whoever you're hanging out with, go ahead and tell them. Go ahead and get connect. Go ahead and connect with them and tell them come follow Celtics Blog Podcast. Come hang out with Adam. Come hang out with Will. Come hang out with Greg. They're three pretty okay dudes and they like talking hoops. I would have settled for just pretty dude. That's me. I'm a pretty dude. We'll leave you- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody. You everybody have a good day. We'll catch you again on Friday because tomorrow will be Wednesday when you hit. Yep, Friday. Peace. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do